0: Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Stay tuned to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary, as we sit down with Nick Batsik to discuss the topic of church planting. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. This is episode number nine. Yes, we've actually done nine broadcasts now since we started this back, I don't know when it was. We started it a while ago. This is episode number nine. Today is April 23rd, 2012. This is a weekly podcast, usually. Uh, at least we try to keep it that way and today this week we have the pleasure of having Nick Batsik on to talk about a particular topic one that I haven't heard talked about a lot in the podcast or the blogosphere realm of things. But we're going to talk about the topic of church planting. And we're going to talk about the different aspects of church planting, some of the negatives and positives, some of the successes and some of the failures, and just about the whole topic in general. So um, we're going to talk with a, a man who has done this work and has experienced doing it, in fact, for the last four years. He is the, the pastor of New Covenant Presbyterian Church in Richmond Hill, Georgia, and he's also uh, widely known—probably he's going to get upset with me for saying that— but widely known <laughs> uh, as uh, one of the panelists on the Reform Forum, another highly uh, popular uh, podcast that is available at reformforum.org. Correct me on this. I think it's .org. It is. It's it will, will get corrected. But anyway, we do have the pleasure of having Nick Batsik on to talk about church planning. So, Nick, it's great to t- chat with you uh, on air. Actually, as we've spent the last hour almost talking off air. Yeah, thanks, brother. It's good to be on. Great. Now, you started church planning pretty much right out of seminary, which I I fail to acknowledge. You are a graduate of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary as well. And you started pretty much in the church planning uh, world, if you will, pretty much right out of seminary. Is that right?
1: Yeah. I I did an internship after Greenville at 10th Presbyterian in Philly, and then um, I was the interim pastor of a daughter church of 10th Presbyterian just outside Philadelphia for eight months. And then— through God's providence, uh, got the call from the Savannah River Presbytery to come to the Savannah, Georgia area to plant New Covenant. Um, I think that was in 2008 I started interviewing and then my wife and I and at that time two sons moved to Richmond Hill February of 2009. So it's pretty much my first call. It is my first ordained call. Gotcha. Now what
0: brought you to an interest in church planning in the first place? Because certainly as I think about church planning, as someone who's never done it, um, I think about the, the amount of work that must be involved in planning a church. It's not as though you're going into a situation that's already somewhat um, established. It's not, you know, it has sort of a, a routine. This is something that takes a lot of effort. What was it that caused you to think, you know, I could do this, I could be a, I could plan a church?
1: Well, you know, honestly, I had never really had an interest in planning a church. I think by the time I was done with seminary and um, had done my internship, church planning in the broader Calvinistic world, you know, on the blogs and whatnot, was a fairly hot topic. I think it was probably... At its zenith in trendiness in two thousand six, two thousand seven, two thousand eight, right around there is when the Axe twenty nine movement was getting big and getting a lot of publicity and you know, all these young guys were talking about church planning. I had not really ever thought about church planning. In fact, I remember talking to Phil ryken when I was looking for a call, and Phil had said, you know, I really see you in a collegiate setting, maybe pastoring a church in a college town. And that's that's really where I was sort of wanting to aim my focus um, in trying to find that. You know, not having any experience, the Lord shut pretty much all the doors I would have personally liked to have seen open. But that was also reassuring because Uh, The Lord made it really clear. Uh, I had called Roland Barnes. He's a a minister that does some adjunct teaching there at Greenville, and he he planted um, Trinity PCA in Statesboro, Georgia, 31 years ago, and is still Mm. there as the pastor. It's actually a remarkable uh, story, and he's a remarkable man. And Roland, in our conversation, had said, you know, Nick, we're looking for a church planter in Richmond Hill. I had played soccer in Richmond Hill when I was a boy. I'd grown up on an island an hour south, Of Savannah off the coast of Georgia, St. Simon's Island. And so I knew the town, I knew it was near Savannah. You know, I thought, well, I'll go down and check it out. And so really, I had no interest whatsoever in starting a church from scratch and really didn't know what that was going to involve at all. So, Mm. you know, I probably am one of those guys that um, it it actually aids me in going forward with the work that I wasn't like, I want to plant a church. But God very clearly opened the door. And in Providence, said, I want you to plant a church. So,
0: now when we're talking about church planning, I mean, on the surface, it sounds like what it sounds like church planning, planting a church. Fine. But what are we talking about really when we're talking about planting a church? I, I, I've talked with various people, and they say, they'll say they say things like, well, you know, the United States doesn't need any more churches. We're over churched as it is. We have too many churches. Um, and there's different kinds of church planning. Um, what do you mean by you're a church planner?
1: Sure. First, I would recommend to anybody that wants to answer people that say, why do we need more churches in North America, that they read Ed Stetzer's Planning Missional Churches merely for the statistics in there where Stetzer shows the utter decline of evangelical, I would say, gospel-centered churches, you know, biblical churches that per capita to the growth of America – Stutzer, who's the the head missiologist for the Southern Baptist Convention, shows the utter decline per capita. Don't let church yeah. row fool you. In other words, when you drive in a little town and you see all these church buildings, um, I would say maybe I've heard stats up to upwards to 70 percent of the little peninsula I'm in in Southeast Georgia is unchurched. Um, so America is not a reached nation in one sense um, there's a there's a desperate need to start new churches I do like Mark Driscoll's definition of church planning and I'll tell you why he, Driscoll says church planning is when a guy goes into a city and doesn't have any people and he starts a church <laughs> and I like that because there are and I have friends who are very godly and, and wise men who are considered church planners but you know a big mother church gave them 200 people and a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And that's a a church. That's not a church plant, even though they had to do a lot more startup work. than. um, So you have your different categories. You would have everything from a church taking a chunk of their people that live in one regional area and saying, we need a gospel witness here, calling a man and then giving him that church, basically, a new church. That's considered a church plant, but um, I think... Maybe a better definition of a real church plan is not having people. We're having a very small group, you know, maybe five, 10 families, something like that. That's a tiny core group. They want a faithful gospel centered reform witness somewhere, you know, the presbytery or they call a man and they do everything from the ground up. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, and, and bring something out of nothing really often pray and thank God. Um, in our public worship service, that verse in Romans four, God who calls those things that are not as though they were. I think about that with church plants a lot. God really, in our case, brought something out of nothing, is bringing something out of nothing.
0: It's interesting how you categorize some of those um, different types of church planning. I, I I mean, I'll admit up front that, you know, when I thought of church planning, I thought of, well, a church, a, a particular church that's already established grows to a certain number and says, you know what, we need another church over on that side of town or that city down the road or whatever the case may be. And so a, a, a segment of that mother church, if you will, will break off and start this other church. And that's how I always thought of church planning, where you went in and pretty much started from scratch,
1: Yeah, more or less. I mean, I had good ecclesiastical support from the Presbytery, and then several of the local PCA churches were supportive in letting me preach. Um, Independent Presbyterian Church, which is, uh, I don't know if I say officially or unofficially because they're independent and we're PCA, but they were our mother church at the inception, and I was on staff there for six months. And um, several, there were several families that went there, that go there, that live in our town who did not come to be part of the church plant but I had access to them so there was I had an advantage to a guy that goes in doesn't know anybody and doesn't have ecclesiastical support I did have the ecclesiastical support which was a great blessing and um, don't know how guys that plant churches that don't know anybody go into a town and do that but um, we didn't know people and we didn't have a core group and um, so it was as close to an absolute parachute church plant as you're probably going to get in the PCA. Now, when you
0: talk about ecclesiastical support, and it's an interesting question, I think an interesting topic in and of itself, because there are various opinions as to these things. Uh, people just go out there and they say, you know, I want to start a church. I feel like I should start a church. So they start a church. And then there's the idea that I think we more where you fall into in the Presbyterian model or or way of doing things, as it were, is that it's not just an independent move to put a church in on a corner somewhere. How important is it for to have that oversight that, that, um, as you termed it as that ecclesiastical support. In other words, you're not operating without a net.
1: Yeah, it's immensely important. Um, I think not just because biblically I'm convinced of Presbyterianism and, you know, I think it, it may be Roland Barnes who often has said to me, you know, it's, it's the best of a broken system i think mm. that's a fair a fair assessment is that it's not ideal but it's better than the other options and Um, you know, the men of this presbytery 20 years ago, it's an interesting story. They used to drive through Richmond Hill because it was a very growing area and it's exploded the last 10 years, but they had a vision and Roland and, and I guess Terry Johnson and a few of the other men in the presbytery had a vision to see churches planted that, you know, the, where there was no solid witness, people were having to drive 30, 40 minutes one way. And so they used to ride through Richmond Hill and look around and pray that God would raise up a church. And 20 years after they started doing that, he did. So um, Mm, this mm. church plant was not my vision. It was their vision. And God gave it to them. And they labored toward that. And they, you know, they had some money for some of my salary, a little bit of my salary, which was about the extent of the support we had. But they, because of their vision, they had been able to save in the presbytery. Churches had given some, they were able to save enough to to, um, to give me a year and a half salary to come in with. Um, so, you know, it's their vision as much as it mine now. And that, and that also gives them a vested interest in praying for it. Uh, Roland, there were many times early on where it was very difficult. I was like, does God want this church? You know, we'd have like 10 people after, you know, five months. And I'm like, clearly, Maybe we need to just leave. And Roland would say, You got (laughs) to keep going. You got to press on. Let me encourage you. And if I didn't have that from men, you know, of whom this church plant was a part of their presbytery, it, you know, I probably would have left. It it was a hard work early on. So.
0: Well, you you raised um, some of the. uh, Some of the negative aspects, if that's even the right word, negative aspects. Um, But some of the challenges that come along with planning a church. I mean, certainly, I mean, I think any seminary student would love to just graduate from seminary, get a call to establish church, perhaps. And, um, you know, blend right in, move right in, and everything just keeps right on going down the street and everything's great. Now, I mean, that's a, you know, pie-in-the-sky mentality, certainly, but what were some of the challenges that you faced? You already mentioned one of them, just numbers, and it seems like it wasn't growing or wasn't advancing very quickly. But what are some of the challenges that a church planner in general will face?
1: Sure. Um, you know, we—we and uh, we our—I think every situation is diff- different. That's the first thing I'd say. We—all of us have a tendency to paint with a very broad brush as if everybody's situation's like ours. And that's something I've really learned to guard against, I'll you know, uh, almost when I'm talking to others sense, like they have this, uh, they have a kind of a, a standard of how things should be. And if I admit something was difficult, it's almost, well, that wasn't the case with us. People we're very selfish people. We all do that. And I'm, I'm guilty of that. So I would just say first to anybody listening to this, every situation's different and Mm -hmm. some are going to be easier. Some are going to be harder. I think in one respect, we had a more difficult work because we had no ministry money when we started and we had no people. So I remember one of the men in the presbytery saying, said, how am I going to gather people? I don't know anybody here. Nobody from what was supposed to be our mother church want this church plant. They don't want to leave. I mean, I would meet people and the first thing they'd say, is, great to meet you. You know, we're not going to leave our church. <laughs> and I'm mm. like, wow, you know, I was... Kind of under the impression there would be a, a core group, so that was that was a challenge. It was a good challenge by God's grace. Like we were talking earlier, in hindsight, looking back and reading providence after the fact. Um, but that was a great difficulty. And then I remember one minister saying to me, "Well, you need to advertise." And I'm like, "Well, that'd be great. I don't have any money. How can I, <laughs> how can I advertise with no money?" So we had a lot of challenges early on. You know what that provided? that provided the platform for the infinite almighty God to work. And that's Mm. all I can say is that, you know, God loves when we're weak and when we're poor and when we're needy because that's when his power and that's when his goodness and that's when he loves to get the glory. So now Nick Batza gets to say, the Lord did it. You know, the Lord built this church. The Lord brought people. The Lord strengthened me. And I think that's really important to say to anybody considering church planning or pastoral ministry right across the board is that, uh, Paul says, I will boast in needs and infirmities and afflictions because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. You know, the grace of God is sufficient. And so, but we did have a diff, those were some of the big difficulties you and I were talking earlier about money, um, mm-hmm. even with regard to our podcast ministries, the one you had and the one I'm still involved with. And, you know, it's just a reality. You need money. I remember in seminary, it was almost idealistic. You know, seminarians, well, I just preach the word and I'll just preach and people will come. No. I mean, maybe you'll be the really rare Whitfield exception. I'm sure Whitfield had a lot of money behind him to travel from England to America to be an itinerant preacher. Sure. But, you know, even Jesus had women supporting him. So money is a necessary instrument. We don't trust it. But I think one of the big challenges was coming here, not having money, which means I I've got one other asset and that's time time and money are your two big things. Church planning takes time and money. Um, You know, the Presbytery was generous to come in and help us and other churches. Grace Church in Douglasville came alongside us. First Press Jackson supports us. Second Press Greenville supports us. Other very uh, model churches that we're trying to, you know, make New Covenant look like. Independent Presbyterian came alongside us. So, that was very helpful as we went along but early on it was a lot of time investment you know i had to build a website i don't know how to build websites i had to figure out how to build a website i, I remember to- when i remember when your website first came out well, I'm sorry. I, I, it was, no, it
0: was fine. I mean, it was it was quite good, actually. But I do remember that. Anyway, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt right. you.
1: I remember spending hundreds and hundreds of hours trying to do this stuff because I didn't have $2,000 to go buy a church plant media website like every other well-funded church plant. So I guess to say – and then that became a huge advertising thing for us once I built the website – putting that on Nine Marks Ministries, putting that on the PCA site, putting that on Gospel Coalition, putting it out on these sites. And then you know what happens? Our Bible study starts growing because somebody moves to Richmond Hill and we found you on Nine Marks. And the web became an enormous help to me. I think, honestly, as I look at my situation, had I not had the small public ministry I already had through the Reform Forum and Feeding on Christ and, you know, other avenues, writing for Table Talk in 2011— I think this work would not be as far along as it is. Um, so again, every situation is unique, right? That's not going to be the same for every guy.
0: Right. Well, you mentioned the you, know, you mentioned the internet, and we were talking off air, as it were, um, about the internet. And by the way, those who do listen to this podcast can follow nick batzik he wanted to make sure that i said this but anyway <laughs> well i he is, he is on twitter i i've happened to follow him i don't know if he follows me but i follow him but regardless and so his twitter uh handle username however you call it whatever you call it his twitter account name is really Im- imaginative it's nick underscore Batsick. that's, that's b-a-t-z-i-g so it's really hard to remember. Um, it's his name with an underscore between the first and last name. You're good. So, And if you use Twitter, you know how to follow, so I don't need to explain all that. But you mentioned the Internet as um, it, it, as it pertains to church planning and how you used it to facilitate what you were trying to do? And what ways did you do that? I mean, th- there's a lot of different mediums out there.
1: Yeah, well, I obviously knew sermon audio type media is important. Having audio, having MP3 was mm-hmm. important. I mean, I, you know, for a decade have listened and grown from listening to men preach. And so mm-hmm. I knew that was going to be important. Um, I think also um, one thing I did at the at the outset of our public worship which we began six months in was i bought with our very small budget i bought a um good hd well decent hd camera um i think it was about 650 dollars. and you know what i started doing i bought a mac and uh an imac so i could build uh, nobody's perfect good videos out come on now you will (laughs) repent of that and uh (laughs) and I started building out videos and they looked horrible at the beginning. They look I had a buddy I was out at a restaurant the other night and I I know a lot of young guys in Savannah now in different churches and one of them had his iPhone. He was at he was with friends and I came in and he like pulled up one of my early videos and and held it up across the restaurant. And I was like, you need to stop right now. (laughs) (laughs) But the reason I did that was because I looked at the churches that were really impacting people and they were using media. Now, granted, they were big and they had money and they had resources. But I said, I can do this. And so what I did was I started doing video in our worship services from the beginning, just about from the beginning. And I remember picking up a family once, and they came in, and we're in a daycare, you know, that holds like 40 people, and we've got like 50 in there on a full Sunday, and Mm. you know, and they're like, "Yeah, we found you online, and we watched one of your videos, and yeah, we thought you were preaching like hundreds of people." And so I had sort of, and it's almost, you know, some guys are gonna say, "Well, that's not right," but I sort of had manipulated things to make us look bigger because I know people don't want to be part of such a difficult. Um work. people want to be in established churches, and you know, there's understandable reasons for that. So I had to make us look like we were going somewhere. Yeah, there was an element of manipulation. And um you know, I just think that's, you know, outside of what you do in worship, there's so many things you can do to help, you know, in a sense, attract people. And Webb's been very big. I mean, I would say, We had a family visit us this last Sunday again, and they said, yeah, we went online, we saw your website, you know, I've had many young couples come and say, we saw your website, we looked at different churches, oh, I optimized our website too, which took me a lot of time, trying to figure out how to optimize it, you know, there's not a lot of... um, there's not a manual on how to get your website up there on searches when somebody types in church in Richmond Hill, Georgia, but I did the best I could. And you know what? I got it up there to like the third on Google's Google map about a year in and that really helped because then people would find us. So just making us accessible and making us visible. And, um, I think it really did help a lot.
0: Yeah. And, and certainly a lot of these things, well, most of these things, the like Twitter, Facebook, that kind of stuff, it's free. And right. so, why, why not utilize that to advance the kingdom in these areas, um, especially in this area, which, as we've already discussed, is can have its its ups and downs. What are some of the positive elements to planning a church? What are some of the you know success stories, if you will, or maybe just you know very encouraging moments that you've had um, as a result of doing this for the last four years?
1: Yeah, there have been a lot. I, I wanted to say. guys, just like in church ministry. And again, there's a lot of overlap, right? Because every pastor is a church planter. I actually Mm. agree with the fact that you never stop planting a church just because you get particularized, you get elders and deacons, you're financially self-supporting. I hope that we all keep that mentality that we are here to advance the kingdom, not just spiritually. I mean, you know, Greenville Seminary guys, Confession of Reform guys, I almost don't even need to say spiritual growth in the lives of the people is what matters. Mm -hmm. But We are here also to see that kingdom advance in reaching the lost, in seeing the unchurched, the dechurched, the poorly churched, you know, those who are baptized, but we don't know where they're at completely spiritually. We want to see them brought in and matured and shepherded, and we want to see the kingdom grow. And so, you know, we saw a lot of encouragements the first year, the first two years I had Five adult baptisms for our little congregation. That was a big deal. With me being the only person on staff doing everything, to see God bringing, I baptized an entire family. I baptized um, the husband of a wife who had been in a PCA church for 25 years, and he was an unbeliever and was converted under my preaching, I believe. And that's you know just preaching of the gospel. God converted him, and I had the joy of baptizing him. Hearing other people who had come from broader churches really get excited about truth and say, we've never been taught like this. I mean, all these different exciting, um, exciting, you know, uh, fruit, fruit observations from the Lord that Mm. he wanted this work and that he was at work and. Um, we had, I'll tell tell you a couple really exciting stories quickly um, early on I told you I wanted to quit the work early on it was so hard, well one night we're having a worship service, we probably have about 12 to 15 people come in, some of whom are temporary core group people because that was something that did help us early on, the people that wouldn't leave their churches would at least come out and help us in our evening service or in our Bible study and yet we're not growing a lot and we're not seeing a lot of people and one night a family shows up and I see them looking at our liturgy. You know, they're they're holding up our bulletin like, "What is this?" While I'm, while I'm, <laughs> them. I'm like, "Oh no, they're probably in the wrong church." And um, afterwards, he, the man said, "Thanks, Pastor. That was a really good sermon." I said, "Well, it's great to meet you guys. And how did you find us? Did somebody in a PCA church tell you about us?" Or he said, "No, no." He said, "We've lived in Richmond Hill for four years." We, before living here, were a part of Bible churches, like John MacArthur-type churches. And we have been looking for a church with expositional preaching here for four years and have never found one. And I was at the point of despair and I finally said, I'm going to do one more check online. And I found your website and you said, we have expository preaching and we went and we think we found a church. The first night I met him, he said, we think we found the church we need to be. Wow. That's, that's wonderful. And that was a little sign from God. I do want this church here. There are, you know, like he says to Paul, I do have people in this city, you know, and there was, there were little things like that. Another neat story around the same time, a little bit later, no, I'm encouraged, but I'm still sort of, uh, struggling with why aren't we growing more? You know, I'm preaching the gospel, I'm preaching the word, I'm out in public, I'm talking to people, I'm, I'm advertising, I'm doing all this stuff and we're not seeing a lot of people come in. I write about two o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday. I'm walking down the street. I live between the marsh. It's really beautiful where we live. And I'm walking right on this road between two sides. There's marsh on both sides. And I'm, um, I'm, just at an end of myself trying to figure out how to plant this church. And I'm, I'm praying. I'm, I say, Lord, you have got to grow this church. I can't do it. And I'm just crying out to the Lord. And I'm walking down the street. And there's a man working on a gate right in front of his driveway, which is a little bridge to his house. Mm-hmm. And someone had told me that that couple that lived there, probably eight months before, somebody had told me they had visited one of the, they had visited an independent Presbyterian church and I knew their last name and so I come up to the gate and I say hey are you so-and-so and the man said yeah I am and he said um, how did do, do I know you and I said no no somebody gave me your name and told me that you and your wife had visited independent Presbyterian Church and I wanted you to know I'm the church planner out of there here in Richmond Hill And oh my wife loves independent you gotta come up and meet her so takes me upstairs and they have this beautiful home overlooking the, the marsh and the river and um, meet his wife, and she's got this wonderful, just sweet, godly personality, and she gets talking to me, and she said, yeah, we love Independent Presbyterian Church, but it's too far a drive for us, and I said, well, that's why I'm here, and we have this long conversation. Well, the long and the short of it is, God had been working in her life, and not long before she had started started reading through the Bible, five chapters a day, she told me that night, and she and her husband came to our evening worship that night, and Pretty much joined the church. Our Bible study on Wednesday night is at their house. It was from that point on that the church really started growing. Mm-hmm. And it was really the Lord answering that prayer as I walked through the marsh that day. I mean, it was amazing. It really was amazing um, that God so orchestrated those things. Because I had heard about this couple eight months before, but could never. Really go up. I think I knocked on their door once and they weren't home, and then I was afraid to just knock on their door because, you know, obvious reasons you don't want to be seen as a Jehovah's Witness. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Sadly, that's how people think. They, know, they see someone coming. Did you have a white shirt on? Oh, and too? I said to him, I said, I'm not. <laughs> I told him later I was afraid to knock on their door. I said, because whenever I've done door to door evangelism, I'm always, I always have to be like, I'm not a Jehovah's Witness, I'm not a Mormon, and I don't want your money. <laughs> so.
0: Well, that's a good way to get the conversation started. It certainly sets people back on their heels, momentarily at least. Right. They don't get the, the party line responses. Right. Um, right. You know, we've all experienced those situations where they, you just know, oh boy, I know where they're from. Before they even know you open the door, you already know. What, um, take me through the process. Um and, and I, certainly we're we're speaking from a Presbyterian perspective, so um this is only going to obviously capture those of the Presbyterian of of the Presbyterian flavor, as it were. Um, where are you now? As uh, four years in uh, pastoring New Covenant Presbyterian Church, it's a church plant of the PCA. Where are you at this juncture of your time there?
1: Yeah. Um. Well. I have, for the last two and a half years, been meeting every other Sunday evening with the men of the church. We do something called the upper room. I've worked through the theology of the confession because not having a confessionally reformed group of people, I mean, we've had liberal church, unchurched, broad church, broadly PCA, you know, and so needing elders and deacons, I... I started meeting with the men and so for about two and a half years I've been meeting with the men teaching them the theology of the standards because they have to they have to be confessional if they're gonna be a office bearer and so laboring toward that goal that's the big goal that we really need to reach more than anything is having an in-house session because I have a provisional session um, who have really given a lot of time to the work Um, but there's a number of goals I mean you know we've grown considerably Uh, we'll have upwards to, you know, 90, a hundred people, maybe a low Sunday, we'll have 55 or 60. So it's been very encouraging where we're at. Um, we've had a lot of new people, but we also live in a very transitory area. That's another dynamic. Not everybody has. We're in between two military bases. So we get a lot of army families that are here for two years. We've seen a lot of transition. It also brings, Families, Uh, we've had several guys who were managers of commercial contracting companies who were building things on those military bases. We've also have Gulfstream employees because Gulfstream is a big employer in the area and they'll come and contract for a few years and then move on. So we've seen, I was trying to count the other day, I think we've seen 50 or 60 regularly attending people come and go over the last Uh. three years. Um, So we're constantly having to think, how are we gonna reach the military? How are we gonna integrate people? We form committees, even though we don't have um, sessions. We have a lot of great people who are heading up committees to help with all the different ministries in the church. That's that's just a necessity, because I can't do it all. I've got a young guy now who found us through the Gospel Coalition who is bringing a lot of young men to our church. We've started on Tuesday night a biblical theology group in our church library. I, I've built a, a church research center. Um, mm. One of my dad's seminary profs retired and Donated his library to our church, which was really a great blessing. So I'm, every every other Tuesday night, I'm mentoring a group of guys, some hip hop artists in Savannah, some other young guys that are fervent for Reformed theology. So the Lord's doing a lot of neat things. So we've got all these different areas we've got to attend to. I've got to get elders and deacons. I'm training these young guys for ministry and and hoping that's going to help grow our church and their churches. Um, at the same time, you know, I've got uh, the congregants. I've got to become. More committed to pastoral ministry. I can, I can only do so much as an evangelist, as a, a preacher, as a teacher. You know, um, I'm spread pretty thin. So I think the next goal would be to get some some staff, um, even part-time staffing assistance. Um, like I mentioned already, the Lord opened up an office space for us for the first time in three years, which you know, when you don't have your own office, your productivity goes down a lot because mm-hmm. you're working out of the home, I have three young sons. So um, So we're in that stage of development where the church is sort of solidifying more. But you know that can create some tensions too, because you have people in the congregation who think the next thing we need is a building. Um, you've got others who see need for staffing. You see all these different um, ideas about where we need to go, and and so that poses a great challenge for me as the church planner to very patiently, prayerfully, you know, seeking counsel, know what direction is the next right direction for us to move as we go forward because you can't do everything at once. You can't get the building, you can't get helpers, you know, you can't become everything you want to become when you started from scratch. And so that's the great challenge.
0: Yeah, it would be nice if we could get all this done at once and right? <laughs> get all those, get all those details out of the way so we can go about the business of ministry. But, um, but in a sense, this is still the business of ministry now four years in, um, you mentioned the committees and and whatnot. Uh, so at this point, you're not particularized, w- 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 and and that's one of those fancy terms that we throw around. Particularized. What what does that mean to be a particularized? Can't even say it very well. It Hopefully, Doctor Carrick's not listening it's to this program. Not
1: a word. What, is it, yeah. what does it take to be a self-sustained church? <laughs> yeah, thank you. That's easier to say anyway. It is. Um, you know, I think that's a big question, too, because even if we were able to—even if I had enough qualified, the PCA requires two ruling elders, and then if you want to get some deacons at that time, it's probably wise to do so, and then then the church would become a formal PCA congregation of their own, not a mission work of Mission North America or the Presbytery. Um, and once they become their own entity with their own officers, then the next step would be for them to call a man. Hopefully I'll get a call here. You know, I, I don't want to rush off necessarily just yet. So, and that's it. That's it. There's some ideologies there. Some people are the opinion church planner comes in three to four, three to five years gets the church going and then leaves and should leave. Other people are of the opinion he should stay long-term. I'm kind of working through where I fall on that. But right now I'm very happy to keep going with the work and love the people and see them matured and, and myself grow as a pastor and whatnot. There are some benefits to not being particularized, and that is you have more time to disciple your officers and to really make sure that you have you know mature, qualified, um, experienced officers and also, when you're not a particular church, you can still raise support, right? You're still a church plan, and churches take a lot of money. Like we said before, I think as a seminarian, I, I sort of had a a non-realistic view of what it took financially to be a pastor to have a church. I mean, for instance, you know, we tend to think of two hundred thousand dollars as a lot of money. That will go yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. On salaries on building costs and expenses. You know, as a church planner, you learn to budget, you learn financial things you didn't know before. And, you know, if an average household of five in an average cost area of the United States. You know, you probably need to make about sixty to $70,000 to get by with all your insurance and your bills and everything. I mean, how much more a church of 100? I mean, that's a big uh-huh. family, right? And people don't think like that often. And so I think with that question of particularization comes, are we at a point financially with our own giving here to go ahead and do this? You have to think through those ideas because I think once you're particular, the the support is really going to go away because you can't technically say we're a church plant. Right.
0: It, so it sounds to me, you know, listening to you explain that, that there's no hurry necessarily. You don't want to get the, the cart before the horse when it comes to this kind of work because there's a lot of things at stake. Right. Most importantly, the, the souls of people under your charge right now. That's right. Um, it, when you try to get going too quickly. I mean, some would say, well, four years, you know, you should have been particularized by now or self-sufficient is an easier way of saying that. But you know, every, as you said earlier, every situation has is unique and has its own different um, challenges in, in front of it. Where are, what, what do you, would you say as far as your particular situation? There's that word again, your particular situation um, is your greatest need at this point.
1: Um, I think for me, just in a self-assessing way I really desire to have um, an assistant it wouldn't have to be a pastoral it wouldn't have to be a pastor per se um, I'm actually not in favor of the assistant pastor position I know there's a lot of debate on that because I think a pastor should get a vote biblically um, mm. but you know an assistant someone who can come alongside me help with the work of ministry I do have several really great men who um, who are, I would say, co laborers with me in this church plant that God has brought here. But to have somebody more, you know, 20, 30, 40 hours a week, I think that's the greatest need. And, you know, again, you get a lot of opinions, and some people are going to say, I even have. Um, elders on the provisional session that have that ideology that the building's the greatest need. I've noticed one thing I want to say to more old school reform guys, of which I would obviously consider myself a part in in large measure, is that there is, I think, a weakness in in looking at the seeker-sensitive churches, the mega churches, the more quickly growing and, and numerically growing churches, and to sort of despise everything that they do to kind of say it's all worldly We're done with that. We don't want anything to do with that we've got a guy and he's preaching the gospel. And I want to say, you know, especially with ordinary means of grace emphasis, obviously we are committed to the preaching and the teaching of the word, the right administration of the sacraments, prayer, worship of God, confession of sin, fellowship, all of those things are our confession outlines. We're not, we're not trying to entertain people in church. We're not trying to win people with gimmicks and drama and all these other things. But, I do think there's often a short-sightedness that when you look at the more effective old-school churches, the first press uh, Jackson's, where Lake Duncan is, the the Uh first press Columbia's, where Sinclair is, the second press Greenville, where Rick Phillips is, the 10th Presbyterian's, these are well-oiled machines administratively. And I think sometimes we we have sort of an idea that we got this guy and he should do everything. And the mm. next big thing is a building, and then once we grow big in that building, then we get the staff. And I look at the churches that um, are very productive in outreach and growth, and almost without fail, the one thing that they all do is they get multi staff early on. It may be people raising support, it may be other couples coming down saying we're going to give ourselves. The wife will be a nursery director, you know, all these things that you you need in churches that are growing, and I think there's a correlation. I think it's a big mistake to think this guy can do it all until we're big enough. Then we get a building and then we grow and then we get an associate minister. Mm. I have a different ideology as I've looked at it. I think, I mean, look, isn't that the way Jesus sent them out two by two? Every yep. in the Bible, two by two, two by two, two by two. We're like, we sent them out one by one. And you <laughs> now I personally don't adopt the sociological paradigm that Tim Keller Pushes um, Bob Coughlin, I think, was the guy that really uh, bolstered this. That prophet, priest, king, sociological view of offices, like, are you more a king or more a priest? And I hear a lot of young guys get really into that. I do think there's some help, though, to that as an illustration that one man can't do everything. And I think one other weakness I want to say that may be helpful to guys listening to this is – there's also an assumption that well we just mobilize the people we get them on committees and they'll volunteer and they'll do all of the things for a long time until we can hire staff you know we live in a society where there's very little second vocational volunteer work you know back in the day you'd have congress congressmen and they were uh-huh. that was their second vocation they didn't get paid for that and they right that this is my calling. I am called to be this and a congressman. Then, you know, even 30 years ago, you had volunteer firemen, and that was a second vocation, and they were volunteers. Not everybody's paid for everything. And I think that affects the church because I do think people in the church, they will do so much. And obviously, you're going to have your more faithful and less faithful. You're going to have your 80-20, whatever everybody always talks about. It's true. But there is a sense where The phrase, you get what you pay for, matters. I mean, people have jobs and they have lives. And if they're not getting paid for something, they tend to do it at their pace to the extent that they value it. When you're paying someone, when you're paying a staff, there's an assumption, this is my job. And you know, it's a shame in some ways that it's like that. In other ways, I think that's just a reality of the world in which we live. And so I do think being able to use money that some people may think that's building money and you need a building and that's the most important thing, may be better spent bringing on co-laborers who can help reach out and the church can grow and the giving goes up and then you get a building. You know, um, I even think about Tim Keller. They were in the the theater they were in for twenty some years. I mean, they didn't even uh. own a building until recently, and they planted churches. And yeah, rent in Manhattan is unbelievable, and huh. that's one reason. But there's also an ideological thing. They didn't own a building, but they were accessible. They had what they needed. They grew. They reached out. They planted churches. I'm wondering if we don't need something of a paradigm shift from the old. We get a building, we're a church ideology. Right. Because the church is not a building. And we say that as reform men, we say that. But then I think philosophically, we sort of, you know, we sort of. Uh, yeah, we hedge our bets a little there. Do.
0: Yeah. And, and I think certainly there, you know, there's the mentality that you could say, well, I go to this church and it's a beautiful building and it's all decked out and it's gorgeous and we love it and everything like that. But are you being ministered to? Right. Well, no, not really. I mean, I never see the pastor except for when he stands in the pulpit. Uh, well, are you being served in the church? No, well, not really. But I go to, but I have a beautiful building to go to. I mean, do people
1: really, is that what they really want? Well, I think some people do really want that. <laughs> I think that's why the church. <laughs> that may be, yeah, you, well, to do, grow because people want to kind of slip in and feel part of their, you know, it's another hook on their social Sure, plaque, you know, it's another notch. And, um, but I agree with you. And that's why I think having enough manpower, you know, one thing I would like to do right now is have you know, some elders and God is obviously raising them up and have maybe an assistant who can come alongside me, help oversee the committee work, can help me with outreach ideas. So I'm not having to spend my time on all that. So I can focus in, as you say, on the congregation more and You know, you go through phases and you can't always be evangelist. You can't always be pastor. You can't do everything. I mean, one man, I mean, this is the reason we have a savior. There's only one person who can do everything, and that's Jesus. It's interesting that if you look at the offices of elder and deacon, Um, you really have a dispersion, don't you, of Christ's ministry in his church, that elders deal with spiritual, the deacons deal with physical, Christ dealt with both. You see that after he raises somebody, he feeds them or he heals them, but that's pointing to, you know, that spiritual healing of their souls. But Jesus is savior of soul and body. Elders and deacons, and, and the point of that is that it's not for one man to do everything. I think sometimes we need to rethink that in conservative church planning, old school church planning. I was talking to Rick Phillips just the other day, and he said that Second Press is getting ready to plan a church. And he said, we are not going to do this unless I can make sure that this church planner has co-labors with him. Mm. And I, I, I said, I commended him. I said, Rick, you press that, you go for that, because we have got to get out of this paradigm like, here's the money we have for one guy, now go plan a church for us.
0: You know, well, you know, it's funny as you're talking, I was at, about having co-laborers and having that support in place. I was just drawn back to the story of Moses when he was leading the children of Israel and all this great responsibility. Great Moses, you know, he was a great, great prophet of the Lord. Right. And his father-in-law, who was a pagan, had to tell him that what he was doing was insane. He couldn't possibly do the things that he was doing and, and do it well. Um, and to divide it up and equal, you know, share the responsibility with other men and, and various uh, less important roles, if you will, not to diminish them, but but I think you understand. You know the story as well as I do. So, um, and and I think that's a big piece um, that tends to get um, just totally ignored, and and expect a pastor to, whether he's a church planner or whether he's in an established church to do everything and to be the one that does everything and. I don't know how anybody does it. I, I When I was in the business world and I had the charge of forty-some-odd people in my department that I was responsible for, I, I couldn't do everything. I had to have key people right. in key places in my department that would do things that I just did not have time to do.
1: You know, the church is not a business, but it's a horrible business model to say, okay, I'm gonna be the guy that goes out there entrepreneurially. I'm gonna start this business. I got a great product. I'm gonna go out there. I'm gonna advertise myself. I'm gonna start bank accounts. I'm gonna do all the legal things. I'm gonna do everything. And then I'm gonna keep doing it. And as, you know, revenue goes up, I'm gonna keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. Then I'm gonna build a big factory. And I'm gonna have 20 machines in there to do to make everything and to produce everything and ship everything. But I'm gonna do it all. And then when I have enough money, I'm gonna hire my first employee. Which is functionally what we're doing. It doesn't make any sense. No businessman would do that, but we do that in the church. And I think that there is something you can learn by way of illustration with that, as you've said.
0: Yep, I, I think you're absolutely right. And unfortunately, these things, as you said earlier, and you know, we're not we're Christians. We're not supposed to talk about this, right? But I mean, oh. these things take money, and and it takes funds to do the things that. These things. I mean, this is the world we live in, and um, nothing happens for free. In a sense, you know, what, what my father used to tell me, "There's no such thing as a free lunch," and, uh, I, and you know, he's right, and there isn't. And now, because you're a mission work, you're still able to solicit, as you as it were. I, I don't know if I like that word, but regardless, um, you're still able to solicit support.
1: Yes, and you know, I want to say one other thing about that for just guys who are planning churches in North America that um, it does take a lot of work to get churches behind you because there's an assumption. I know a big conservative church, one of my buddies is a pastor there and they're a sort of a conservative um, reform church. And and when I started working here on this church plan, I asked him, hey, would you talk to um, the senior minister or the mission committee or whatever about maybe supporting us? and he was very eager to do that and came back and he said hey you know i'm sorry but i talked to um, i talked to my pastor and and he said you know well and they, this church has a lot of money said we don't support church planners in north america because we believe if a man's planning a church in north america he should be able to get enough money to do that um, that's actually not a foreign belief i think i think it's actually easier for foreign missionaries to raise money than north american missionaries and conservative churches because i think most people have that ideology so they're like let's uh-huh. give our money to you know they need the gospel more than we do and north america there's so much money they should be able to get it so you know a church will give a guy like a thousand dollars which by the way doesn't go very far at all for oh. the year and but they'll give you know 15 twenty thousand to a foreign church planner. well he gets three four or five churches behind him like that he's good whereas church planners in north america you know, I do think there is a, um, so for any guys listening to this, who go into churches that want to have a healthy, robust missions, budget missions, supporting, and you should church planning supporting, you know, one of my goals, and I hope it'll be a goal for more established churches that have the money to support church plants. I'd love to support a church planner out of here at twenty, thirty thousand 30,000 a year so that he is not having to go get support from all over a little bit here and there, you know, um, more substantial support goes a long way. And, um, so that's our goal for new covenants to become that kind of church. And that's one good thing, right. About going through some of the difficulties is, you know, the positive, it, it helps me think, how can I be a better leader in bringing this church to A healthy position on supporting others, right?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yep, that's right. Now, how can someone help
0: support you in this work? What what would they have to do?
1: Well, um, you know, a lot of the churches that have supported us will send support to. to Savannah River Presbytery, and um, they in turn will give it to us or give it directly to New Covenant Presbyterian Church. Um, obviously, prayer. You know, if I was uber spiritual, I would say, You could pray for us. We're not too interested in money, but we do need money too. Um, obviously, prayer. Prayer is mm-hmm. enormous. And I mean that. That's not lip service. Pray that God will bring new people, that He will you know, open doors from the ministry of the gospel for me, that I would speak it boldly, that I would fear him and not man. All the things that Paul asked the churches to pray for, pray for us. Um, You know what? Sending groups down, Second Press in Greenville, enormous support to us. They sent down a group last year to help us put on a VBS. We were told we put on one of the best VBSs in Richmond Hill, and there's a lot of them, and from big churches. And I attribute that to Second Presses. Strong support. They're coming down again this year. Mm, That's Uh, great. I think one of the seminarians, Josh Sparkman, is coming down, uh, leading that group um, from Greenville and and Second Press. And so um, that's enormous. I told Rick just last week, I said, you know, Rick, I think you all coming down with a group to help put on, you know, bringing props, bringing a group who knows how to do it, who knock it out of the park. That's almost more important than financial support. He said, great, I'm going to stop giving money to you. I'm like, no, you can't do that. But, <laughs> uh, but it's been, that's that's a big thing. So any churches that, and not just New Covenant, I mean, I want to support other church plants. If, if those listening are part of churches that have groups that can go help other you know, reformed and um, gospel-centered church plants take groups and ask, "How can we help you? How can we help you do outreach in the community?"
0: Yep, and I think, as we said earlier on, it's uh, it's probably not a topic that a lot of people generally think are. It's not in their mainstream of their thought process. It's not something that they're generally thinking about, but they occasionally hear of a person like yourself who are. Who are doing? They're doing this work, and there's others that are doing it as well. And a lot of these things that we've talked about today would even apply to those people. Uh, they need financial support. They need prayerful support. They need churches to stand behind them and give them that ecclesiastical support. You know, the, the camaraderie. Um, I know of a man who's who's doing a mission work. He's doing planning a church in Italy. Um, he's a uh, um, mutual friend of both of ours. And and one of the things that he says quite often is. Uh, I need friends. I need men of like-minded faith that I can lean on, and they can lean on me and have that relationship. And so to have that ecclesiastical support, these things would apply to any person planning a church, not just Nick Batsik down at New Covenant Presbyterian Church. Nick, what's your website?
1: Um, The church uh, URL is newcovpress.com, N-E-W-C-O-V-P-R-E-S dot com.
0: Okay. That's newcovprez.com, and we already gave your Twitter out, but we'll do it again. It's just Nick Batsig with the underscore between the first and last name. So it's his name with the underscore in the middle there between it. And if you follow on Twitter, you know how to do all the follow thing, and I don't need to give those instructions. Um, and how about Facebook? Are you on there?
1: I am. Nicholas T. Batsig, N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S. Um, and uh, please friend me because I love interacting with people on social media. I think it's been a great way. That's also, by the way, been really very influential word of mouth. Mm-hmm. People that I befriend who maybe listen to Reform Forum or read Feeding on Christ, um, and they'll say something – to me about a friend they know in Richmond Hill and that's been really helpful so you know the Lord uses as you said that camaraderie Um, you see it in the book of Acts don't you you see that we know this brother and we see churches helping other churches I think that's you know Christ's way of advancing his kingdom so
0: absolutely well Nick it's been great talking to you about this this subject as I said so that many people probably don't give a lot of thought to and probably ought to um, and um, it's been good talking to you about the, the, the trials and tribulations, as it were, but also the successes of what it, it sounds like that the Lord is blessing and working uh, through you to do this work there in Richmond Hill, and it, it sounds like it's, um, it's doing very well, and we'll continue to pray in that direction that the Lord bring new people, Um, and also financial support as well, and also continue that support level that you need to continue this work, uh, all for the glory of God's uh, wonderful church.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. Really uh, glad to be on today. Thank you. I hope that the Lord uses this in any way to help um, guys who are considering church planning.
0: Absolutely. Again, we've been talking with Nick, Nick Batsik. He's a church planner down at New Covenant Presbyterian Church. That's in Richmond Hill, Georgia. So if you live in that general area and you happen to listen to this podcast and you're looking for a church home, uh, there's one right there in your neighborhood. The website is newcovpres, That's com, and you can follow Nick on Twitter at Nick Batsik with the underscore right there in the middle between his first and last name. And we've been talking with him about church planning. So prayerfully consider how you might help in this area. Perhaps you know somebody who is a church planner, who needs some of the things that we've even talked about today. Or maybe you don't know anybody, but now you do, because you've listened to this podcast, and you know one man out there who's laboring in the church, in to do this work and you can certainly pray as he's indicated and i think he would appreciate that very much coming up on the program monday next week a week from today we'll be talking with Gabe floor i hope i said his name correctly but we'll be talking with him about his work he has uh, edited a number of books That are out there. He was just on uh, the podcast that that Nick does with the Reform Forum recently. But we'll be talking with him about the the topic of the atonement as well as other matters. So that's April 30th of this year. We'll be talking with him. uh, That's a Monday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So until then, we do thank you for listening to this particular edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. And God bless.